Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Wednesday, April the 8th. I've got a good show lined up here today. In about 10 minutes, I'll be joined by the City of Kamloops Utility Services Manager to talk a little bit about whether people should be expecting to see some changes in their water usage as a result of spending extended periods of time in self-isolation. And then in the back half of the show, I'll be joined by Dr. Joe Finkler, who is an ER doctor at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. He was diagnosed with COVID-19 and is now well on his way to recovery. So I'll be chatting about his experience and how he has dealt with being ill. But to begin today's show, I am joined on the line by the mayor of Kamloops, Mr. Ken Christian. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, Good morning, Jeff. So back at council yesterday, and and we'll sort of get into everything that went on there in just a second, but I just kind of wanted to start by asking you on a general sense, you know, how do you feel the city is doing overall, you know, staff and citizens, you know, in terms of responding to COVID-19, social distancing, all these other protocols, just, uh, you know, what is your two cents on, on how the city has been handling this situation so far? You know, I, I said it in council yesterday uh, that myself and council are just so proud of the citizens of Kamloops for the way that they've stepped up to this challenge, and it hasn't been easy. And uh, certainly our staff uh, at the city of Kamloops are doing what needs to be done to keep essential services there. And uh, I think the public are really uh, listening to uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and, and her recommendations. We have the odd uh, situation where bylaws have to go out. Uh, as I've said repeatedly, uh, you know, keep your distance keep away from others that's how this virus is transmitted Uh, it's a respiratory virus so let's uh, block its pathways and in particular i'm concerned about those snowbirds that will now be returning to the camlops area from the united states in particular they must quarantine uh, for 14 days under the quarantine act and uh, that means stay at home uh, under every circumstance yeah, definitely a, an important message there for, for everyone returning from anywhere outside of the country. Um, how are things going with the Emergency Operations Center? You know, you, you've talked a lot about the EOC over the course of this whole situation as it has played out. Um, you know, just how, how are people who are a part of the EOC doing? I mean, uh, a very uh, intense job, I would think, at this point in time, but you guys are, are meeting pretty regularly, and I just wanted to get sort of an update on, on how people are handling the situation when it comes to those working directly with the EOC. Yeah, we're well into week three. Uh, I don't attend the EOC. Uh, It's not a place for politicians. It's a place for uh, those people that are uh, running the city uh, and and the logistics of the city. So uh, they're there. They have uh, backups for every key position. And, uh, you know, they're running it. The only difference is that they have to run it in accordance with the rules of social distancing. So normally in an EOC, you see a lot of uh, kind of huddles and and that kind of thing to uh, uh, deal with specific problems but uh, in this one it, it's a little bit different but beyond that uh, I get briefed uh, every every day and uh, you know those messages that need uh, to be extended to the public are done so through my office. Now, uh, with, you know, you talked a little bit about virtual distancing there when it comes to the EOC, and that's something that you guys had to do yesterday when it came to the city council meeting that took place. Um, There was four of you actually at City Hall, and, you know, you had a nice uh, couple of meters between each of you and how you were sitting around the table itself, and then another five uh, attending via video. So how was that experience for you? I'm sure that was a little bit different than what you're normally used to. 
Yeah, you know, and I think every one of us would prefer to be together, and I think the the discussion and the debate benefits by having you all in the same room. But, you know, we're going to do what we have to do and get the city's business done, and so that does seem to be a uh, one way that we could do it. We had a few glitches, but our IT department really has stepped up to make that a possibility, and the government has now allowed that uh, so we don't have to alter our bylaws. So uh, I had to uh, just... Uh, establish a quorum uh, and then uh, we could go on with uh, doing the city's business. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see you guys are meeting because it is important, I think, to maintain that city business that, uh, you know, it doesn't come to a standstill just because uh, we're dealing with the pandemic, unfortunately. But uh, Corporate Services Director Kathy Humphrey was front and center last or yesterday, you know, talking a little bit about the impacts on the budget and how things are, are really just uh, changing on the fly. Um, you know, she's talking about how she's preparing to completely remake this year's budget, presenting a couple of scenarios where uh, looking at possible $3.7 million budget shortfall to another scenario where it's up to 6.2 million. So, you know, a number of factors at play here. So just wondering, um, you know, I guess, what, what are your thoughts on this moving forward? I mean, it was kind of expected that there was going to be some uh, budget impacts as a result of this. And, and it's something that obviously every municipality across the country, across the world is really going to have to deal with. Um, but at this point in time, when you look at those numbers, I mean, surprised and, and how do you kind of deal with this moving forward? Yeah, you know, in many sense, the the city's no different than a lot of other businesses. We, uh, you know, collect taxes and we hire people to perform services that those people that pay the taxes want to have performed, and, and it's as simple as that. But uh, what uh, we see now is uh, a uh, a total recast of our budget that we'd spent ten months working on, and and uh, you know, I characterized it yesterday as uh, you know something that if you uh, go at it too strong and, and uh, use a sledgehammer, you're going to become part of the problem, you know, and uh, if we cancel all the contracts, if we lay off all the employees, uh, we aren't going to be part of a recovery or a solution. So I think what uh, council agreed yesterday was a more nuanced, a more finessed approach uh, where we're going to look at a whole host of uh, options, everything from uh, looking at our uh, contracts, uh, looking at our capital budget, looking at our reserves, uh, looking at property tax uh, deferral and uh, property tax early payment incentive, uh, allowing people to apply for utility deferral, but allowing uh, those that are able uh, some incentive to pay on time. And looking at those supplemental budget items that we had uh, talked about uh, merely six weeks ago, and I I, I was thinking of that, uh, you know, we, we had a great conversation about the value of the uh, urban tree canopy, and, and we had a great discussion about pickleball and we had a great discussion about you know buying mats for uh, accessibility for uh, handicapped individuals into our parks and beaches all of those very critical items but in the context of what we're facing now uh, I think we have to realize that this is not a time for supplemental items and that we really need to look and focus on the core business that the city provides and make sure that we're doing that uh, for the citizens of Camelops and and uh, being part of a recovery of this situation that we're in. And and how difficult is that going to be? Uh, not in terms of putting off things like supplemental. That seems like it's a pretty um, easy decision to make, albeit very important projects that you still want to get done, but not necessarily things that need to get done right away or right this second. But just as this whole thing progresses, I mean, uh, it's going to be 
really changing on a, on a daily or weekly basis at the very least in terms of how soon are we going to come out of this? How soon is the city going to be able to start bringing in some revenue for people, you know, taking the bus or using certain city facilities? I mean, uh, it's brought to be almost a, a lot of different scenarios on the table here because it's really hard to say how this is going to play out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, uh, six weeks ago we were arguing about, uh, you know, say you have a, a house and you're paying $4,000 in taxes per year, and we were arguing whether it was going to be $4,037 or $4,064, and we were arguing about that difference. Right now, people can't afford the $4,000, so that really is a fundamental change in terms of what uh, the reality is for a lot of people. So we can't solve this problem if we're using thinking that we were using six weeks ago. We have to be ahead of this. So uh, I uh, gave credit to our uh, Chief Financial Officer, Kathy Humphrey, and her staff for being able to uh, provide some forecasts, even with a number of unknowns, and they looked at uh, two scenarios. One a three-month scenario, one a six-month scenario, which I think uh, council felt was uh, probably conservative, but uh, nonetheless they have uh, put uh, values into uh, some of the columns and uh, they've given us uh, some choices and they'll take the input that we provided and come back to us on the 21st with a number of uh, a multiplicity, I would suggest, of, of uh, options and uh, choices for us to make, none of which are going to be easy. Uh, you know, I can assure you every member of council, uh, you know, feels as badly as everyone in the city about what we're going through. But we have an obligation uh, to, uh, you know, do a budget and, and we're going to fulfill that obligation. And I, I'm remembering uh, Councillor O'Reilly uh, yesterday and uh, he mentioned that, you know, never before in his experiences, the city had to worry about uh, cash flows and meeting payroll. And that's something that's a, a nuance mm -hmm. of this uh, circumstance. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, I did want to ask, too, a little bit about just emergency preparedness overall. There was a little bit of talk about, you know, as we come into flooding season and, and what the impacts could be there as we deal with, uh, you know, COVID-19 and all the things that are coming along with that. Of course, as I mentioned, flood season is, is on its way. There's always the chance that we see some significant fires during forest fire season. And, of course, all of that is combined with the fact that we do still have this ongoing opioid crisis that seems to be, you know, almost put on the side right now, just in terms of the overall preparedness for the city to deal with emergencies and at, a, at a general level, um, you know, just what is your confidence level right now? I mean, I assume that the city is making all the plans necessary to be able to respond to these situations, but there is that possibility that things come up uh, pretty quick without us realizing. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the opioid crisis, uh, Jeff, because there are two active public health emergencies in British Columbia right now. The opioid crisis has not gone away, uh, and that public health emergency has been in place since 2016. So, you know, we have that to deal with. Uh, we have this current uh, COVID-19 situation to deal with, and uh, the next immediate issue will be flooding, and the forecasts uh, are not good at this point in time. We'll get an update today, and we'll have a meeting about that on the uh, 15th but uh, those people that live adjacent to the river uh, just inspect your property inspect the dikes if there's been erosion on those dikes uh, over the winter that uh, you feel could uh, impede their integrity uh, then uh, let us know and and we will dispatch crews to start working on that we need to prepare in advance uh, when you uh, anticipate a flood you start uh, six weeks out before that uh, occurrence to block off storm drains and those 
those kinds of things. So, you know, that's uh, what we will be uh, taking advice on, and we will manage that. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that we have is a, a well-seasoned EOC and a very strong uh, leadership team in the city of Kamloops and, and uh, just dedicated employees all over. And, uh, you know, so I, I uh, am uh, just confident that they're going to be able to meet the challenges that we are being uh, dealt right now. And, uh, you know, we we're on a bit of a run of bad luck, so we, we need that to change up here pretty quick. Uh, well, Ken, I could probably talk to you for another 20 minutes here, but I won't do that to you. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak to me. Always appreciate it, and uh, keep up the great work. We really appreciate it here in the city, so thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was the mayor of Kamloops, Ken Christian. Coming up next, is COVID-19 impacting your water consumption? Well, the city's utilities manager will join me next to talk a little bit more about that. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thank you so much for being with me here on Wednesday, April the 8th. With many people working at home these days, I'm sure there are many more individuals using a little bit more water than normal, especially at their homes. Uh, joining me now for a little perspective on how COVID's impacting water usage in Kamloops is Utility Services Manager with the City of Kamloops, Greg Whiteman. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. So just what are you seeing sort of initially here? I mean, uh, you said you hadn't uh, really thought about this too much, uh, you know, until recently. So what, what have you noticed in terms of the impact of water usage that is uh, going on in Kamloops as a result of, you know, more people really spending time at home? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that, uh, without having the data in front of me, I assume that we would see a, a higher uh, water usage just based on the number of family units uh, that are at home and working from home and then living at home, uh, really unable to, to leave. But having looked back at our uh, water production stats over the month, month of March, we actually haven't seen really any change from uh, previous years as far as water consumption. And the, the assumption there is that we are likely seeing a, a higher usage in our residential customers, but with the industrial, industrial and commercial customers being, uh, you know, a lot of businesses unfortunately temporarily closed, we're just not seeing that use in the, in the industrial commercial uh, numbers. So we're likely seeing that balance out what we're seeing in the residential side of things. So essentially, yeah, the usage at home is, is offsetting the, the usage in, in that commercial sector. So with that in mind, I guess, you know, should people be worried or do you think there are people worried out there about the fact that they might be using a little bit more than normal and how that could potentially impact their bills? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who is, uh, you know, worried about using more water than, than they typically do at home, I mean, one of the best things that you can do to offset that as we get into some warmer months here is just be real uh, cautious of the amount of water you're using for sprinkling and irrigation. That is by far the biggest driver of water usage in Kamloops. So if you are at home and you've got, uh, you know, more of your family or children at home and you are using more water, anything you can do to offset that uh, outdoor usage for, for vehicle washing and, and sprinkling lawns will will have a big impact. So basically, for in terms of like tips or tricks for people out there who might be listening and are saying, you know, oh man, I'm, I am worried now that you put it out there that I am using a little bit more water. Is there anything else that you can think of as, as far as ways for, for people to, to really help conserve? Is there anything that they can do at home? Um, you know, you mentioned car washing and stuff like that. People hopefully aren't really out driving too much, so maybe they don't have as dirty of vehicles. But what, what other tips or tricks do you have for people to con conserve? 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a little challenging to uh, do much in the way of water conservation within the home right now. I mean, we are all washing our hands more than when, than probably we typically have. So, I mean, there's going to be inherent uh, use of, of more water inside the house. So, really, it is just that external water use that you can control right now. So, being real real cautious about your, your sprinkling, I think, will be the number one thing people can do to help out there. And we've got some great information on our city's website about uh, exactly how much water is required for a lawn. And this is probably the year to really pay attention to that and only water when you when you truly need to um and and as we kind of move forward throughout this whole thing and you mentioned you haven't seen you know a ton of drop off just in overall consumption do you think things might change i mean we've already been told april is not going to be a normal month and then who knows what things will look like as we get into may and june i mean could could trends change any idea what trends could possibly uh, be altered as a result of an extended period of time of, uh, of isolation yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Like I say, I do expect the residential customers are using more water, but um, although we don't have data to prove this right now, it certainly appears that that reduction in the commercial industrial sector is, is offsetting that usage. So overall, like uh, citywide, our numbers are exactly in line with where they've been over the past uh, several years here, and, and uh, we're really seeing no impact of COVID on water production. Uh, any ideas sort of when that kind of data might be potentially available? I mean, I know you can kind of look at the, the trends as they are right now, and, and it, might, it might not be much of a, of a change, but uh, do you know when you would know for sure when that data would kind of be compiled? Uh, it's not something we typically look at as far as the uh, the water consumption based in sectors, as far as residential and commercial. We look at our total water production. That's the uh, numbers that we utilize for all of our reporting and certainly for our our um, reporting on water consumption citywide. So we generally don't break it down to that level. And really, unless I saw a, a, a major change in our overall water production, I don't think we would at this point. And then what we're concerned about from the city's perspective right now is that our, our overall water production, our demand on our water system has not increased at all based on the COVID. Yeah, that's that's definitely a uh, good news, and I know that the mayor has repeatedly said, you know, the need to make sure that you know our our water services are well staffed and and make sure those services continue to run. Obviously, a crucial and critical thing for for many individuals here in Kamloops. So um, maybe I'll just get you to kind of reiterate that. I mean, uh, you know, there is no concerns, I would assume, when it comes to uh, you know water plants and being able to staff those at this time. Yeah, we've certainly taken some extraordinary measures to ensure that. I mean, we have a lot of staff within utilities that are absolutely essential for for everything that we rely on in this community and, and probably typically don't think of on a day-to-day basis. But, I mean, we all expect our, our toilet flushes, and, and that works. And when we turn the tap on, water is there. And there's an awful lot of staff that are working every day to make sure that that does happen. So we've taken lots of measures. Uh, we're certainly adhering to all the provincial medical health uh, officer recommendations as far as things like social distancing and even... Uh, taken measures to uh, offset our start times, for example, to reduce the number of uh, staff that are in one room at any one given point. So we're doing everything we can to protect these essential staff and make sure they can continue to provide the the services that we rely on. Perfect. Um, I think that's probably all I have right now, Greg. Anything that you can think of that uh, people might want to know or should know about in terms of our utility services right now in Kamloops? Yeah, I think one of the key messages we've been trying to get out to people is that there is no concern for uh, water quality as a result of COVID. Um, our treatment process is, is industry-leading. It's very advanced treatment technology that we're using for our water, so there's no impact from this COVID virus on water quality. So there's been some calls from, from members of the public just kind of asking information as far as the, uh, the water quality, and we just want to assure everybody to continue using and drinking water as you always have. It's safe, and it will continue to be. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for this, Greg. I really do appreciate your time.
Anytime. That was Utility Services Manager here in Kamloops, Greg Whiteman. Coming up after the break, I have an extended chat coming up with a Vancouver-based doctor who contracted COVID-19. Dr. Joe Finkler will join me to take us through his experience and sort of what he expects now moving forward as he gets ready to head back to work now that he is overcoming or uh, getting through, getting past his diagnosis. So that will be coming up after this. So please stay tuned. More Jeff Andreas show uh, after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the show here on Wednesday. Thanks for joining me. I am joined on the line now by Dr. Joe Finkler, who works in the emergency department at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver and has been dealing with his own bout of COVID-19. Dr. Finkler, thank you so much for taking the time here. It's my pleasure to speak with you. Maybe let's just start by getting a quick update on on how you're doing. I mean, uh, how long have you been uh, dealing with this diagnosis so far? Okay, so it's not exactly sure. I was um, formally diagnosed. I'm going to pull up my calendar here. On It was Saturday, March 28th. I, I went for screening for had a nasopharyngeal swab done on March 27th. But I think I was probably ill at least a day or so earlier than that. But the symptoms came on, you know, at least to me, they were insidious or crept up on me. And I'm, I'm totally fine now. So when when you were first dealing with this, so it's been almost really two weeks or, or getting close to that anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you were first sort of starting to feel like something was wrong, I mean, I guess just, just how did you go about kind of working through that process for yourself as someone who works in an emergency department? I mean, um, you know, it could be a number of different things that you could potentially get. So at what point did you start thinking, man, maybe, maybe I do have a case of, of the coronavirus here? Yeah, that, that's so interesting, definitely. I reiterated this or uh, mentioned this uh, several times to other people who asked both uh, family, friends, colleagues, uh, medical students, and and uh, reporters in the media. Uh, I, I think I was in a tiny bit of denial. I, I My first thought was that um, I, I, well, I felt fatigue, and I, I, I attributed that to working night shifts and changes in times, my own time zone. And, um, and then... Um, I did not uh, notice some other symptoms which are attributed to the virus. And then my worsening cough, I thought, oh, I'm probably going to get a cold or I've got a bronchitis just like everybody else does or many other people who come to the emergency department. It really wasn't until uh, the night before I got tested and the day of testing, I I was really suspicious that I, I probably have this illness. And that, that was probably because I didn't recognize the symptoms, maybe a bit of denial, and, and to some degree ignorance about the spectrum of disease because much of what you hear in the media and what's publicized in the medical literature are the common symptoms which are fever and cough and a whole bunch of other things that come at to varying degrees the commonest thing is fever and cough and i didn't really get fever until uh, the night before i got tested and i had a cough which i'd had a chronic cough at that baseline and it was getting uh, just a bit worse uh, I, but I became suspicious the, the night before I got tested and the day I got tested. I was I was pretty certain that was going to be it. But before that, I was hoping it would be an alternative diagnosis. 
Now, you know, one of the things that I did read into your story here a little bit and what I've seen from, from your conversations with other people out there was, you know, y- you haven't seen or when you were working in the in the, in the the hospital, there weren't cases of, of COVID around you that you were directly aware of, right? When you were kind of seeing that you might have COVID-19 and then you were sort of doing some, some tracing as a result of that. And from what I've seen, you know, there was no one that you were dealing with directly that had uh, this novel coronavirus. So I think that's sort of a, a good way to, to show that. Uh, why why physical distancing and social distancing is so important right now is because you know you you clearly weren't dealing with someone who was symptomatic but they were cl- obviously carrying it somewhere uh, throughout your 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 trips through the hospital there yeah and it's and it's very possible uh, that uh, you know uh, Jeff that I, I may have picked this up outside of the hospital although people might you know, honing the you're in a high risk setting right but yeah that, that is so true and you know that was a, a big uh, learning point and a hard way for me to learn this that uh, even though you might not be in direct contact with a person that is COVID-19 positive or carrying the coronavirus you can still uh, pick it up through transmission either by touching putting your hand on a desktop a keyboard a tabletop a doorway a butt that opens up an automated door elevator whatever handrail and then you take your mask off or you touch your face and and boom uh you know you're you're gonna you're gonna contract it um so yeah I, that, it was that, that is true that i didn't have direct contact with any patients that i was aware that had COVID 19. the caveat being jeff was that first of all the guidelines for screening um were changing it was a shifting shifting sands or moving target uh you know because we were everybody was learning more about the disease and senior leadership and infectious disease and public health officers were trying to put together you know guidelines that made sense based on the data that was uh, emerging so initially we were screening people that were travelers to high-risk regions who had symptoms like fever and cough and, and symptoms other symptoms that resembled an influenza or a viral respiratory tract infection and, and then we were liberalizing as people knew that uh, you didn't have to have all the classic symptoms and there was community spread in other words you didn't have to travel from uh, Hubei province and uh, of China and Hubei city and you, you know you didn't have to have all the spectrum of illness to to um, be a candidate for swabbing so our guidelines were changing so I didn't swab every single patient I saw an emergency in the emergency department over that time frame but as we were getting closer to my my uh, illness diagnosis a day they, the, the, uh, we, they were much more liberal with the guidelines for swabbing and absolutely anybody who was sick and coming into hospital and in higher level of care procedure was, was for sure all the way along getting the screening so it's possible I saw patients and said uh, who came in for an either a respiratory tract infection or didn't fit the, the criteria for testing and I picked up from them or came in for another reason, even an ankle sprain or a cut or a fracture and they might have been carrying the virus, like who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dr. Finkler, too, I did want to ask you, I mean, uh, you know, you've talked about that you did go about getting testing, and I think many people have probably seen the videos out there of, of how that swab works, but I was just wondering if you could maybe describe what that feels like for people, because, uh, you know, obviously not everyone is getting tested right now, so uh, I'm sure there is a little bit of uh, curiosity about how that feels when that swab, uh, you know, is being uh, put up your nostrils like that. Yeah, you know, I've I done a lot of swabs, <laughs> 
before I was diagnosed and clocked out of working uh, for my quarantine period mm-hmm. and self-isolation. So I, I've seen how people react, and, and I apologize to everyone I know. It. And, um, yeah, uh, it, it's more than a little tickle. I, I wouldn't say it's horrible and painful. It's more than a little tickle and feels uh, very uncomfortable. And the natural reaction is to jerk your head back because it's on a, a long swab. It has to get deep into the back of the base of the nose and go back in the back of the throat deep down to, to get a proper sample. If you're just in the front of the nostrils, you, you may get a, a false uh, a false negative. And so the, the natural reaction is to jerk your head back, and most of us are doing this, uh, put one hand in the swab and one, one hand in the back of the head so you don't sort of arch away. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, not horrible. I, you know, if people are out there and thinking they have disease and that's stopping them, this is over in a minute. Your worry and anticipation is worse and longer than the actual duration of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And this is mild. Yeah, like yeah. getting a vaccination, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People are afraid of the needle before it's over, you're poked and you're done. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, hopefully no one's avoiding a test because they're worried about it being uncomfortable. That would be a, a pretty silly reason to avoid doing something like that. Uh, you know, I personally would rather deal with one minute of discomfort um, than, you know, be walking around wondering or worried that I may have something that, uh, you know, has not been confirmed yet. So I'd much rather just go and get the test done, and I'm sure most people out there feel the same way. But, yeah, if you've seen those videos online of people going for those drive-through tests it uh, doesn't look like a whole lot of fun but anyway uh, Dr. Finkler I'm gonna have to take a quick break here but I, I did want to bring you back to, to chat a little bit more about this experience over the past couple of weeks uh, you know as you've been dealing with your diagnosis so uh, please stay right there and we'll be back with a little bit more with Dr. Joe Finkler after the break your opinion Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday the 8th. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Continuing my conversation here with Dr. Joe Finkler. He is an ER doctor at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. Now, Dr. Finkler, once you got your positive diagnosis here of COVID-19, can you sort of take me through your experience? Like, how exactly did you feel? And and the reason I want to ask this is because, you know, we have heard there's a very large variation of of how this virus can affect people. So how exactly did this affect you? You know, if you had to put it on a scale of being in the ICU to, you know, nothing but a small fever, you know, what was your experience like, Dr. Finkler, with COVID-19? Yeah, I, I have to say on a low scale, I, I, I'll confess, maybe I'm a wimp. Um, I, I would say a two or three, uh, and I would consider like 10 being on a ventilator in the intensive care unit requiring critical care and and uh, and, and many medications to support um, vital organs in the body. Uh, mine was a, a, a mild case. Yes, I felt unwell and, and crummy, I think. No worse than some people might feel when they have influenza, which is, you know, high fevers, chills, runny nose, watery eyes, sneezing, muscle aches, uh, persistent cough. Um, I, I was probably in that spectrum. Even though it's uncomfortable and, 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 and uh, makes you feel unwell, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't feel I was fighting for my life or that. And I had the most fleeting uh, moment that I just wondered in my mind. You know, I've heard this, this could go could go bad, and there are there are youngish people without uh, many chronic diseases who did up end up on ventilators, and not all of them did well. Um, and that only crossed my mind for a minute. Mostly, I just felt 
unwell and crummy, and I just sort of wanted to curl up and mm-hmm. do my own thing. And it sort of progressed, it, and it really crept up on me. The big thing, the start was this incredible fatigue, like there was a headwind around me, I was walking in molasses, trying to walk on through water, all that resistance, which I attributed to the night shifts. There was a fog in my head, like I couldn't wake up, I didn't have enough caffeine in the morning or in the evening. And this cod, this cough was a little bit worse, but I'd had a chronic cough, that caught a little worse. And the one thing uh, I tell people, we've, it's a, sort of a curiosity. I lost my sense of smell and had a terrible taste in my mouth, most of which I attributed to wearing a mask. I thought, well, the emergency department's got some pungent odors um, um, from people's bodily excretions sometimes, and also, of course, uh, the disinfectants that are used are industrial grade. And I wasn't smelling them, but I thought, oh, yeah, no, that's okay. I'm wearing a mask, so of course I'm not going to smell it. So that, I, I didn't notice that at all. And the sense of bad taste, I thought, I'm probably just breathing through my mouth because I'm not used to wearing a mask or Mm -hmm. something. Interesting. I did also want to ask you too, Dr. Finkler, while I have you here, just, you say you're totally fine now. So now, I guess, I just, how does this impact you moving forward, right? When you're looking to get back to the hospital and start working again in the, in the emergency department, you know, are, is this maybe change at all how you approach things? Are you nervous about heading back into the advi- en- environment? Just sort of where, where's your headspace when you look to go back to work and, and when do you think you'll be able to actually start doing that? So I, 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 I'm, uh, as of today, I'm officially uh, out of quarantine and, and, and cleared for work. Somehow I miscalculated and thought it was yesterday, but in fact, the official date today, and the, that was a moving target, just mm-hmm. based on public health office, uh, their their estimate of uh, when uh, when I was uh, got contracted disease. So they just, because my symptoms were insidious and there was no specific uh, marker, they just said, well, we'll take it the day you went for your test. And so I, I counted that as yesterday, but it actually turns out to be today, according to public health. So I, I'm out of quarantine. I feel well. I have a residual cough, and I'm, I'm able to go back to work. I have what's, I'm on call on Thursday for what's called trauma team leader, uh, so I could be called in if there's a surge or a complicated case that may be too much of a burden to my colleagues who need to move on to other patients, and then I'll just continue on and sort that patient out and figure out their disposition. So that's on Thursday. About going back to work, I'm not worried about, you know, contracting illness, obviously, again, and maybe I feel a little bit immune or, or quite immune, but obviously, uh, you know, apprehensive, and then I know that my colleagues might just be concerned that, okay, theoretically, yes, this person's clear to the virus and scientifically, but I, I can't, cognitively, I can't accept that, or emotionally, I'm just, I'm worried, like, you're, like, maybe like I'm a, a bit of radiation, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still radiating the virus, even though in people's minds, it's sometimes hard to resolve things to have a mo- emotive uh, content or force and reconcile that. And and we see that in the pol- how our politicians act and our experts. On the one hand, the science says this. On the other hand, there's, you know, fear or speculation come into play. And, and people, um, you know, even though the virus, they case fatality rate's not 100%, it's actually quite the reverse. People don't care about that, and I understand that much better. All they care is, what will this be the implication for me? Like, if I get this, maybe I'm only the 1%, maybe I'm the unlucky 1% that not only gets infected, but gets seriously ill, and what will impact this to have for my family and means for me to be able to work? So I, I, I understand this more now, and I don't think I appreciated that at the beginning, because I'm 
was either ignorant or I had blinders or I'm just myopic around that. Mm -hmm. And now having dealt with that and understanding there's, you know, regulations, guidelines, and people must feel comfortable. You must fulfill these quarantine uh, guidelines and uh, adhere to infectious disease control precautions and all that. So, yeah, I'll feel immune, but I know some people might feel apprehensive about being around me and they might be happy to see me as a person, but wonder, great to see you, Joe. Just step back a little bit and I'll understand that entirely. Yeah, yeah that's totally fair. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this, Dr. Finkler. I really do appreciate your time. Uh, I guess while I have you here, is there any sort of message you want to give to the general public or maybe even your colleagues who are, you know, working the front lines here and in, in throughout all of BC, including here in Kamloops? Uh, you know, is there anything that you just kind of want to put out there while I have you here? Yeah, for sure. I would say a couple of things in talking to my colleagues at other places in Canada and my emergency medicine colleagues in Seattle, Washington, uh, New York, and New Orleans, people I've connected uh, uh, with. Um, first of all, you know, we should be really proud of our healthcare planners. They've done an amazing job. I'm super, super impressed. Um, you know, sometimes you get cynical, say, oh, they're managers, leaders, all they care about is just that. You know, the people and people have come together and put in the time, the effort, the thoughtfulness, pouring over data, speculation, and broken down boundaries between departments, divisions in the hospital, uh, hospital systems within a health region to come together. Uh, public health has taken an amazing lead, you know, starting out with the most limited data they could, making the best guesses about what we should do in terms of social isolation, public dispersion, shutting down mass gatherings. I th I, at the beginning of this, before this started, and before this all uh, came out, you know, I, I sort of rolled my eyes and said, "Oh yeah, sure," um, and 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 slept it off. You know, when I was ignorant at the beginning of the the pandemic, and uh, looking back, you know, these people were spot on. They made the best decisions and really good decisions for all our welfare. Uh, I, I think this shutting down the province, the movement of people restricting access everywhere is the right choice. And, and, and I think we, it, it looks like the curve may be flattening a little bit, which means we can't let up our guard. Uh, you know, the, the second thing is I think that those things that they tell us to do, wash our hands, keep distancing, and perhaps wear a mask or self-isolate if you have symptoms. I think that's all super appropriate. And the other thing I'd mention is, yeah, you, most of us who get the disease, like n probably more than 90%, will have a mild case. And maybe that means that you just suffer for a few days, like uh, we do through any small minor illness, but it has implications for workplace, your status, your ability to move around the public and quarantine. It has implications for family members who might also have to be, well, will have to be quarantined because they're in contact with you. Um, and if they have specific jobs in healthcare sectors or essential services, that has implications. And then some people might be appropriately afraid or have a healthy dose of paranoia to interact with you in the community. And I, I, I understand that now. Like, who wants to get this disease, even if it's minor? Like, who wants to have to be quarantined or self-isolate? And then who wants to pass it on to other people that are vulnerable, elderly, people with chronic diseases, or pass it on to kids that might pick it up? So super, super learning experience. I think we're really well positioned here in Canada and British Columbia in particular uh, to deal with the outbreak. And, you know, if we're overwhelmed and our 
our, our system like uh, it meets its capacity to handle critically ill patients, I'll say it wasn't for the lack of planning and preparation and trying on behalf of all the leaders and you know, good on our citizens to, to follow the advice. So that's the best I can tell you. Well, I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to speak about, you know, your experience so far and then, uh, you know, inform the public about, uh, you know, what, what you've been going through and how, how you've, you've been dealing with the whole situation. I mean, uh, for you yourself, it was a mild case and we're happy about that, but that's not the case for everybody. So important that people know to, to go get tested and, and, you know, if they are feeling unwell, that uh, they take them those extra precautions. So I really appreciate your time um, and I really appreciate the message here as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, you have a good day. Take care. That was Joe Finkler, a doctor in the emergency department at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. He has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and uh, as of tomorrow, will be able to, to get back to work. Always interesting to hear some firsthand experience as someone who is dealing with the virus itself and particularly by someone who is in the medical field and, and you know how he was a little bit skeptical of everything as well. I mean, it's understandable or almost expected for the general population to be a little bit ignorant about things like this, but even an ER doctor said that he was perhaps a little bit ignorant about the whole thing as well so clearly nobody is perfect and i would also say it's probably a good thing when a doctor gets it and then does come out the other side i mean we don't want anyone to get sick but we have been told that once you recover, you have a bit of an immunity and that could only be a good thing for our medical professionals who are working on those front lines and I also know there was a similar situation out in Sun Peaks. Uh, spoke with Mayor Al Rain yesterday, who said one of the two doctors in his community came down with the novel virus. But Mayor Rain told me that he is also about ready to get back to work and start treating patients at his office as well. So good news there as our doctors uh, you know, who have been infected are now starting to recover and able to deal with those that truly need their help. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great Wednesday. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.